Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jessica. Sure. <clears throat> Welcome everybody on this glorious, if unusual, Palm Sunday. Um, loving seeing all of your faces and uh, and it's just great to be together. I want to especially welcome those who are visiting us today who maybe have not been a uh, part of Lutheran Church of the Resurrection's worship services in the past but are tuning in because of Zoom. Um, we're just thrilled that you would pick us to spend time with this morning and um, thank you for bracing us with your, with your presence and um, and being part of our worship and fellowship. I, okay, so I was reminding you about muting and unmuting using your space bar. If you're at a computer, if you're on your phone, you'll get to figure it out. Uh, I have two candles here lit. They are in memory of and celebration of the lives of Donna Drees, who is the sister of Rita Hinkey. Donna died um, uh, at the beginning of the week. And then Sandy Wicklander, a longtime member of LCR who passed away on Friday. And so we remember the families uh, in our prayers today and we, we celebrate the continuation of their lives um, now face to face with Christ. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus and his disciples had come to Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you always. And also, also with you. Let us pray. Everlasting God, in your endless love for the human race, you sent our Lord Jesus Christ to take on our nature and to suffer death on the cross. In your mercy, enable us to share in his obedience to your will and in the glorious victory of his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 27th chapter. 
Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many accusations they make against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, anyone whom they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So after they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that innocent man. For today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, well then what, am I, what, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? All of them said, let him be crucified. Then he asked, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Then the people as a whole answered, his blood be on us and on our children. So he released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole cohort around them. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took a reed and struck him on the head. After mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon, they compelled this man to carry the cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head, they put a charge again, against him, which read, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. 
those who passed by to ride at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple in three days and, and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he wants to. For he said, I am God's son. The bandits who were crucified with him also taunted him in the same manner. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. At once, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with some sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see if Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. After his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now, when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were terrified. And they said, truly, this man was God's son. The gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to, to you, O Christ. Amen. There is no Hosanna in the text. It's Hosanna, save us now. Jerusalem is packed for the Passover. It's five times the usual number of residents in the city, if you can imagine that. And Jesus is making his way from Bethany into the city, and people are beginning to gather in the streets. On the other side of town, Pilate is entering with his entourage on all white horses and steeds and looking important and official. But on this side of town, there are other people gathering, people who have witnessed, people who have experienced Jesus' healing touch, people who have heard his teaching and, and witnessed his kindness, people who have eaten with him on hillsides and eaten with him at the tables in their homes. And now they are gathering to witness his arrival in Jerusalem, arrival on a donkey which had never been ridden before, just as Zechariah had predicted. There were lots of witnesses in the streets that Palm Sunday. 
so long ago. And there were witnesses on Monday when Jesus went into the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers. And there were witnesses on Tuesday when he taught his parables on the temple steps and predicted that the temple would be destroyed and raised again in three days. There were witnesses on Thursday when he ate the Passover meal for the last time with his disciples and washed their feet. And Friday, when he was arrested, there were, was a witness present. A few remained for the mock trial and the verdict. People along the road saw Jesus carry his cross and others watched as he was nailed to it and lifted up to die. But none were present the following Sunday when he first stepped out of his tomb. Only later, after the stone had been rolled away, did the women come. I've been pondering, what does it mean to be a witness? You know, during Lent, we watch as one witness after another is called to testify in the trial of Judas Iscariot. They're called to tell what they knew and what they had seen and to bring truth. But there were no witnesses. There were only observers. One day, um, years ago, when I still lived in Treeport, I was headed to work. And I witnessed a typical fender bender, one of those, you know, you see a couple of people in rush hour traffic run into each other. And I wanted to do the right thing. So I stopped and I went up to what to the vehicles and I gave them my name and my phone number. And I said, you know, I did see what happened. And so if your insurance companies need to talk to me, here's my contact information. And I never heard a thing. I went on to work and and I waited and I never heard from anybody. And days and weeks and months went by. Two years later, I was sitting at my desk at work, the phone rings and it's the attorney for one of the people that had been in that accident. And he wanted all of the details of the accident, precise details. But the problem was after two years, I couldn't remember the details. I didn't really remember anything about it, so I turned out to not be a very good witness. Sometimes we say we witness something when all we did was really observe it. We maybe rubberneck as we drove by. Are witnessing and observing really the same thing? If we see something and we don't get involved in it, does that count? Can you be a witness? if you remain silent, if we know something is wrong, if we are aware of an injustice or, or we don't speak up, then are we a witness? In other words, if no one knows that we know, are we still witnesses? If someone attacks you at your car this afternoon in a parking lot because you broke the, the orders and went out of your house and they steal your wallet, and you notice that there's somebody else in the parking lot who also broke orders and went shopping. And this other person sees the whole entire thing but does nothing to help. Are you really going to feel better knowing that somebody else at least observed what happened and saw your plight? Professor Fred Craddock tells a story 
of one night when he was driving by himself cross country across the United States. And he had been driving through the night and uh, now it was getting close to dawn and maybe you know how that is. And that's, I think the hardest time you're really sleepy. And he found that he was dangerously tired. And so he decided to stop at a small diner someplace in the South to refresh himself, you know, with the classic breakfast and a cup of hot coffee. And as he waited for his breakfast to come to the table, Craddock spied this black man who had just come in and he sat down, the man had sat down on a stool there at the counter, the lunch counter of the diner. And the diner's manager then began to treat this man, this black man with real contempt. I mean, it was clearly a contempt that was born out of some really deep seated racism. The manager was rude to him, insulting to him, demeaning towards this black guest and patron. And Craddock said he sat in his booth a little ways from the counter watching all of this and wrestling with saying something, you know, to chide the manager to, to call him out for being shameful and racist in his conduct. He said, though, eventually the black man just quietly slipped, slurped down some coffee and then he left the diner rather quickly. Meanwhile, Craddock says, I kept silent. I didn't say a word. I didn't say anything, he confessed. I quietly paid my bill. I left the diner. I headed back to my car. And as I walked through the parking lot, Craddock said, somewhere in the distance, I heard a rooster crow. I'm beginning to think it's not enough to just be an observer. If that's all we do, then we can't really say we're witnesses. Somehow being a witness implies getting involved, it, at the very least saying something, which of course Craddock now has done because he told the story on himself later. At what point are we morally and ethically compelled to get involved? You know, I've been watching the last couple of weeks, like I think a lot of you have been, it's, it's easy to be the observer right now. I tune into YouTube and I'm, I'm watching, you know, newsreels, um, snippets of news over the last weeks. And, and I watch it on the regular live news and, and you know, and on Facebook and every place else. And we can see the images of people um, in hospitals that are just overrun in their trauma units. And, and we can see the stressed out faces of people on the front lines and in healthcare and, and first responders. And we can witness teachers and others trying to stay connected with their students by driving cars and parades down neighborhood streets and waving to children who are standing on their porch steps. There's a lot to observe right now. Um, but can we really say we're witnesses if all we do is observe and take it in from the safety of our homes? I'm not saying we should go outside and do things that risk the health of other people, but I'm starting to wonder how do we respond in this time what can we do from our homes or from our, our limited um, spaces? And then I was reminded 
by people in the congregation this week. I observed people being a witness. Uh, one couple in our church found out about another family in need in the congregation and personally sent that family $500 to get them through the next few days and weeks. There was a second family that I learned about, and so we took money out of the minister's discretionary fund and sent $300 to them. We've helped with a few other little practical expenses recently, things that will make a big difference for folks, but maybe we're just a little bit beyond the budget at the moment. Catherine Killian made up a huge pot of chicken noodle soup and decided she would bring some over ministering to me. The Lurs family, I find out, are sewing masks that are going to have some kind of filter in them. And when they get that pattern perfected, they're willing to share it with all the rest of us. Other people are starting to sew masks, I think, for friends and neighbors and stitching things together and trying somehow to be part of something positive that makes a difference. I would love to hear any other things that y'all are doing or ways that you've been touched and feel like people are having an impact and reaching out to you. How are we sort of bridging the gap? I think there are so many ways. In fact, right now, I'm, I'm just marveling at people who are taking time to set up Zoom meetings to try to connect with family and with neighbors and people who are reaching out with phone calls. I mean, our own council's been doing a wonderful job of that. We've had kids and grandkids maybe help us figure out new technology and, um, and go out of their way to help us connect. Some people think that God doesn't really get involved in our lives. I, I hear that. They say that God just sits somewhere, you know, I don't know, up there, off camera, and just benignly kind of observes our suffering. But that isn't the case. God's very nature is love and compassion. And love and compassion don't ever keep a distance. Compassion cannot watch suffering and not get involved somehow. So God put on flesh and blood and came to us in a man named Jesus from Nazareth. You can't get much more involved than that, than putting on a body and stepping in and stepping up. God came and dwelled here among us, shared our human estate, took on our mortality in order to witness on our behalf. God still comes to us in the midst of all of this mess that we're embroiled in around the world. God didn't distinguish between men and women or Jews or Gentiles or the rich or the poor. Instead, God called attention to all the injustices and to all the suffering in our world and subjected himself to it. Jesus subjected himself to a trial without witnesses, to a death by torture on a cross, because God was determined to be involved. We proclaim at the table, when we share the Lord's Supper, Christ has died, 
Christ is risen, Christ will come again. That's the proclamation of our faith. I wonder though, is it enough for us just to know the story? Can we keep it to ourselves and still be witnesses? Can we mind our own business and stay at a safe distance? Or must real witnesses do more? Amen. Turning our hearts to God, who is gracious and merciful, we pray for the church, the world, and everyone who is in need. God of mercy, fill us with your spirit and give us bold and joyful words to speak that we can sustain the weary with the message of your love. Hear us, O God, and let God's people say, your mercy is great. Your mercy is great. Mercy is great. God of mercy, quiet the earth where it trembles and shakes. Protect the ecosystems and the habitats that other species call home. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Your mercy is great. God of mercy, drive away fear and anger that are causing us to turn against one another. Give courage and wisdom to leaders all over this world so that they might guide and protect us. Hear us, O God. Your mercy. God of mercy, bring peace and hope to those who are sheltering in place around the world, and especially to those in hospitals, prisons, and refugee camps. Comfort those who cannot be with those they love. Hear us, O oh God. Your mercy is great. God of mercy, send your saving help to all who suffer abuse, insult, discrimination, or contempt, heal the wounded and the sick, and those we name before you now. Hear us, O God. Mercy is great. God of mercy, when we breathe our last, you raise us to eternal life. Welcome Sandy and Donna into your arms of grace. Surround those who are dying with your presence and comfort all who mourn. Hear us, O oh God. Your Lord, mercy is great. According to your steadfast love, O oh God, hear these and all our prayers as we commend them to you through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 The Amen. peace of Christ be with you all. And, and also, also with, with you. you. Thank you. At this time, we normally would be taking up our, our, our offering, collection of offerings uh, for the ministry of the church, both here locally and the ministries that we support nationally and abroad. Um, we invite you and ask you to please consider continuing your offerings, whether it's to mail-in checks. I do know that we have members of the church going in each week to count those offerings and make sure that they're deposited and recorded appropriately. And um, you can also give online at our website, which is lcrpv.org. If you go to the Give Generously tab, you'll be able directed there uh, ways you can give online. 
And um, we do continue to help one another and to support one another, and we do continue to have expenses that are involved in that. So I thank you for your offerings and your support. Let us pray. Holy and generous God, we offer to you what you have first given us, ourselves, our time, and our possessions, signs of your gracious love. Receive them for the sake of the one who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. And now, um, an announcement about the next few services. Monday, Thursday, uh, this coming Thursday, we'll have a service at 7 p.m. It will include communion. And you are all asked if you could round up um, a little bit of bread or a cracker, um, anything like that is appropriate, and some wine or juice if you have that on hand, um, and have that available in a cup so that we can all receive the sacrament together. And also next Sunday on Easter Sunday, we will be doing the same uh, again, celebrating communion finally after not having had it for several weeks. So um, I hope that you'll all be able to join us in this the wonderful services of Holy Week of Lent in the three days. So Monday, Thursday at seven, Good Friday at seven, Easter morning at 10.15 again. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. 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 Jessica is going to play for us again, and so I invite you to listen to that, and then after she finishes playing, we'll leave the, I'll unmute your, your uh, microphones if you like, and leave the camera on so you can say hello to one another. God bless you all. <laughs>